0: Welcome to the Nerds Podcast number
1: 896. Audible is our sponsor for this episode. Uh, Audible has the best audiobook performances, an unmatched selection, and the most exclusive content. For instance, let's say you want to get ready for the upcoming Ready Player One movie. And you go, hey, maybe I should listen to Ready Player One, written by Ernest Cline. Do you know who reads that book? Who reads it? Will... Wheaton. Oh,
2: your friend? Yes. Oh, my God. That's exciting. Will Wheaton
1: reads Ready Player One. He'd be good at that. He's, he's amazing at it. Will, Will actually does has done quite oh, a few audiobooks. Oh, does he? Oh, yeah. He's, that's awesome. He's spectacular. Because it's nice to have someone read a book that can give a performance element yeah. to it. Yeah. It's much more engaging that way. Uh, and so listen to Ready Player One on Audible right now. Start a 30-day trial and your first audiobook is free. Learn more at audible.com slash nerdist. That's audible.com slash nerdist. Uh, what do you got on the Nerdist Community corkboard, Katie Levine?
2: I got some, some cool stuff on here. If we have any uh, listeners in Cleveland, the Accidental Comedy Fest is coming to your town soon. There's going to be shows happening every night, August 30th through September 3rd at Hilarities in downtown Cleveland. There's going to be some hilarious comedians there. Uh, Like Doug Benson, Ron Funches, Dave Hill, Dan Soder, Jack Knight, Megan Gailey, and a lot more. Passes and tickets are on sale now, so check it out at hilarities.com. And then I came across this on Instagram, uh, because I follow the Marin Humane Society on there. They are doing the Bay Area Picnic. And it's a guinea pig picnic. (laughs) And I just love this so much. It's a fun-filled gathering for guinea pigs and their owners. So you can bring your guinea pig. They're also going to have adoptable guinea pigs there. They're going to have a costume contest, vegetable eating contest, raffle bake sales. Not baking the guinea pigs, just other bake sales. Uh, They will help groom your guinea pig or do a health check. Uh, All the proceeds benefit the North Star Rescue Cavie House KV House and the Marin Humane Society it's going to be in Novato which is in the North Bay uh, this Saturday August 26 from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. and there's also going to be another one in Linda Vista Park in Cupertino uh, Saturday, September 9th, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. And you can go to Marine Humane Society and try to find out more info on that. But Isn't that it, sounds fun.
1: Are they going to have guinea pig juggling? Probably not, right? Probably not. Okay, great. They're, they, they're good, good, Just want to make sure they're not <laughs> <giggling at that laughs> But that. you do
2: get to see guinea pigs in adorable costumes.
1: <laughs> that That is...
2: <laughs> which I'm, I just love
1: I'm, I'm so emotionally torn about that. <laughs> no, I think it's
2: adorable. It's like South Park, you know, it's the <laughs> pandemic. <laughs> Okay, I I'm just want to see board. it so bad. All right, I'm back I mean, on board. I wish I was up north. I would go to this in a heartbeat.
1: I'm, I'm back yeah. on board. But I just imagine that... So if you're an animal and your owners dress you up in clothes, you have no idea what the fuck is going on. Just all of a sudden there's no. stuff on your body.
2: No, no. Scout has a menorah hat and she's just like, what the fuck is this and why is this on me? <laughs> 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 she's not into it.
1: Well, so... Imagine an alien species came came down, yeah. right? And essentially enslaved the whole human race. And they uh, shot something onto your body that you could feel was there but you couldn't really see or yeah, understand and you can't it. Get it off. And every time you were around, they were like, Meh. Like, wouldn't you feel a little slightly disrespected if you 'cause you're not because the thing about animals being in clothes is they're fucking not in on the joke.
2: But they look adorable. <laughs> It looks so adorable. <laughs> okay. You're Some, right. No, you're like, not wrong. You're I had a dachshund that loved wearing her her little jacket. She had a jacket. She loved it.
1: <laughs> Did loved. the jacket look like a hot dog bun? Because that's the only no, thing you could No, it was just like a sweater.
2: But okay. she got cold and she
1: Yeah, she all right. It. Help them out. But Help. I
2: do understand what you mean. You can't get it off and they're just like hitting it with their paws. And yeah. No opposable my, thumbs. My,
1: my, my, my old dog, Scott, like we put... These uh Christmas one year, we put this, like, antler yeah. thing on the like the little head, Pete, mm-hmm. and the little antlers. He just, as soon as I got it on, he looked so fucking bummed. Aww. He was just not, so we took it off. I mean, we took yeah. one picture, but then we took it off. But it was just immediately, like, he didn't know what was going on, didn't understand why we were laughing. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know, I know. Anyway, sure, fuck it, dress up your I guinea pig. I think guinea
2: pigs like it, so go to the guinea <laughs> Guinea pig. Based on your scientific pig-nic. research, picnic.
1: <laughs> this episode is uh, Michael Cudlitz, who I fucking adore. Cudlitz is great. I remember when Cudlitz came on, like when he first got added to the cast of Walking Dead, and the first time he came on Talking Dead. Uh, A mutual friend of ours texted me and said, "Cudlitz is fucking great. You're going to love that guy. And I do. And he is. Uh, And this is a fantastic episode with him. Uh, And one of the very rare occasions, this is being posted the day that we (laughs) recorded it. does not happen very often just because of scheduling and when things need to go up. But uh, yeah, Cudlitz was just in my house. He just left. I'm recording this intro now. Uh, just to, just for a little peek behind the curtain that uh, you so desperately require as an audience member of the Nerdist podcast. But uh, just as a reminder, the Walking Dead complete seventh season is available now on DVD, Blu-ray, and digital HD. Um, so uh, so watch that. There's a commentary, Ooh, uh,
2: extra scenes, probably,
1: probably. Uh, so uh, so watch that uh, if you're a Walking Dead fan, getting ready. You know it's August, almost September, which means it's almost October. And then Walking Dead's right around the corner. Yes, uh, you gotta so ready. You gotta gotta what get ready. Got to, re- got to relive, uh, got to relive the story, so you can land back into it uh, when season eight starts. Eight seasons, God, that blows Oy. me away. <laughs> uh, this episode uh, also. Oh, can I promote some something? Yeah. Oh, All right, it's funny I'm asking you. For... Hey, Katie, can I a so. promote something? Okay, thank <sighs> you. You're the best mom ever. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm doing a doing a bunch of stand up dates on the road. Uh, it's easier if I just tell you the clubs, and and then you, if you're that interested, if you're interested enough that you would come see me, you can do a little bit. Bit of leg work, which is, um, I will be at uh, Acme Comedy uh, Club in Minneapolis. I'm going to be at the Tacoma Comedy Club. I'm going to be at the American Comedy Club in San Diego. Um, I'm going to be performing at Levity Live in Oxnard. I'm doing I'm doing a, a club tour, so I can. I like doing a, you know, like a yeah. bunch of dates at once. So, uh yeah, so I'm doing that.
2: That'll be fun. Yeah,
1: and then I'll be announcing more dates and then I will I will post them somewhere. So, uh those are all coming up soon. This episode also brought to you by stamps.com. Uh, going to the post office blows. It
2: does, especially in L.A. Oh, it's hard.
1: I mean, things blow more in L.A., but particularly the post office. And a lot of the problem is fucking parking.
2: Yeah, parking, traffic, standing online. No one wants to do that.
1: And not to complain too much about uh, local L.A. problems, but most of our streets are torn up at the moment. <laughs> and on top of that, they're also building a subway. Uh, so the, it's, you know, yeah. don't – even if you live in a small town – you know, here's the only reason you need to go to the post office. If you live in a town of 100 people and your significant other works at the post office <laughs> and you want to go see them at work and pretend that you're mailing a letter because you know there's not going to be a lot of other people there that day, fine. Go to the post office. But if you're really serious about not dealing with a bunch of crap and mailing the things that you need to mail with the exact amount of postage that you need, stamps.com can print any letter, postage package, any class of mail. Uh, click print mail. You're done. 24-7, uh, even get discounts you can't get at the post office. So you too can enjoy stamps.com service with a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus postage and a digital scale without long-term commitments. Go to Stamps.com, click the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in NERDIST. That is Stamps.com, enter the promo code NERDIST. Stamps.com, never go to the post office again. Here's Nerdist podcast number 896. Hey, Katie. Yeah? Would you... um. Just hit uh, play right over there, just that button right there.
2: Done. Now entering Nerdist.com.
1: Just smushed, yeah, like in my pockets, what are you doing <laughs> like, just do my glasses, whatever, like stop, leave me alone, yeah, my optometrist said uh yeah, you know, when you hit 40, uh, your eyes are the probably going to start. Yeah. And I was like, ah, I'm fine. I've made it this long. Yeah. I don't need. What could happen? Yeah. And then every year, I'm like, wait, what is it? What could
3: happen? I'm over here. I oh,
1: can't. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> your, your arms are. You're out right here like, you I the can't table. see that. Where is it? Who is that? Oh. Who's talking? Who said that? What are you? Stop it. Yeah, I know. I don't it's... like any of you.
3: I, only, I can't see you, but I don't like you. I
1: only just figured out how to put in contacts, and it took me like three years to, to put them in. It took me three years to figure out how to put contacts in, and the way that I learned was that Lydia and I were on vacation, and she had sunscreen. This was a, this was very much a a marriage trust thing. Oh my god! So Lydia had sunscreen all over her hands, and she was like, "I need to borrow your your." She goes, "I need to borrow your finger." And I'm like, "Well, this party's picking up, <laughs> absolutely." And then she said. Uh, uh, I need to use your finger to put my contact in, and I said absolutely not. Yeah. And she goes, "Just do it," and I go, "Okay." So I, I just kind of held my hand with my finger out, and I just and she took my finger and smushed it into her eyeball, and uh, my finger basically touched my wife's eyeball. And b- immediately put the contact in, and it weirdly taught me He's like, oh, that's what you do. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> right, it taught like, me a much I, better way to put yeah. a contact in, and now I haven't had a trouble. I haven't had trouble putting contacts in. Uh, I have video of it, and I thought about posting it, but I felt I feel like some people would be just too grossed out to watch someone touch another person's eyeball. It's kind of awesome. <laughs> my dad, my dad, my dad used to have uh, glass
3: uh, contacts. Oh, original. oh, and he would put, you know, and then everyone, it would be that. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute drop the contact don't step anywhere yeah. it's, it's shag carpeting you know oh no and it was
1: like the search for the
3: I got it okay you, know.
1: you put that back in oh yeah you put the thing and you put the back in you know, yeah. yeah it's like a like a binky for a baby you gotta <laughs> rinse it off or lick it or whatever and I don't I don't know yeah I got to make the, uh, the really uh, vile joke like uh, uh, of like putting the contact in I go yeah but you know but with the contact on my finger it's like I can't really feel the eyeball and she was like all right she <laughs> like, "Go to your room." Yeah, go to your room. Okay, I'll go. To my, I'll go clean up my room now. All right, I'm sorry. I'm still 15. I'm almost well, 15. 15.
3: That's why I, I'm, my wife is the same thing. It's just like she's. I'm 15. I'm 15. She would be happy if I was 15. I'm more like 11. Right. You know, she's praying for 15.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Could you just get to... Like, yeah,
3: exactly. Just get to I mean, I just every day I look at her and I just go, wow, did I kick way beyond my cover?" How,
1: how long have you guys been together?
3: 31 years.
1: Damn! Yeah. Damn! What's, yeah. The, uh, what's the secret?
3: What's the secret? I don't and the minute I think somebody tries to say that or they have the answer to something then you're then you're screwed then you don't yeah because it's like you know it's just uh, you know it, it is we do a lot of that old you know don't go to bed angry yes you know, hash it out in like laying next to each other and just kind of mm-hmm. you know um, m- my advice though is always like uh don't try to fix everything sometimes a lot of times our partners just want to talk and just you need to listen. Mm-hmm. stare at the ceiling and go, mm-hmm, 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 And in the morning, they go, oh, thank you so much for talking about that last night. Don't Don't fix it. Don't <laughs> fix it. Um, apologize. Cop to your own bull, you know. The, the, say, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, I, I don't know what I was thinking. You were right. Those are good ones.
1: Yep, those are very good ones. <laughs> I heard uh, yeah, someone someone told me that um, the couples that stay together the longest, there is an element of uh, kindness in their relationship which I, which surprised me because I, I guess I sort of have this idea of you know the stereotypical like old people in the grocery store like where well, you don't know where the but produce I, uh, is shut yeah, up yeah that's
3: what I think some of it is too stuff doesn't build up and then explode you're always releasing it you know it's, <laughs> it, it's literally like hey why would you stop doing that you're bugging me stop oh Oh, I'm sorry. As opposed to not saying it for 40 years and then like waking up with an axe in your head. I
1: told you to stop doing it! Know where the produce was! You never told me to stop! (laughs) (laughs) Or it's that, you know, we watch a lot of the investigation discovery shows, the true crime shows, and we watch a lot of like. You know, wives that decided to stop taking shit via murder. (laughs) Exactly. uh, He
3: he just changed the TV channel
1: one too many (laughs) times, times. and that was it. And uh, it's remarkable to me because they sort of skim over. You know, you're watching. You're basically watching a. You know, for lack of a better term, like a greatest hits. Of that, whatever that couple's exactly. you know, reenactment of their relationship,
3: yeah. or what what their friends knew,
1: exactly. That's all exactly. you know.
3: all you know is what was talked about. You don't you don't really know, know the reason on. she killed him That's because right.
1: obviously they didn't talk about I mean, it. He probably deserved it, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so, uh, but the uh, but the idea being that you you realize that a lot of these people are together for years, mm-hmm. where it just where there's no murder. Kink. Yeah, and then just something you know. So for you, you can get very comfortable over a period of several years.
3: Makes it easy for you to get snuck up on.
1: <laughs> well, I think it's very, the guard was dropped. I think it's. I think it's very important to remember that uh, your partner is not should not be the receptacle for all of your. Your partner's role in your life is not to. Just be the person that you dump on when you come home.
3: Yeah, no. You know? hope, hopefully, we we enhance each other's experience. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's that's the goal, I would think. How often are
1: you away?
3: Um, when I when before Walking Dead, um, probably two three times a year. I would go away for a couple weeks at a time. Um, we we when we got married, uh, or when we had kids. I should say we started going to regular school but by the time we were in the kids were going to second grade we homeschooled so the the family traveled with me. Oh wow. You know, when when if we were going somewhere cool, if we were going somewhere you know not, not so cool it was like, you know, right, stay home. Um but we ha- always had like a 3 week rule. Th- 3 weeks canceled by 4. Okay. So if you were going if I was going to be on location shooting something for 3 weeks, that was, you know, it was going to be longer than that, then she would come out or I would come home okay. in that three weeks. Unless it was four weeks, and then we would discuss it and make financial sense to come out and visit each other whatever, because four weeks was like, the month was like, that was the, the longest it would be apart. And then when we started homeschooling, it was sort of like, well, we can go whenever because the kids can learn cool stuff wherever we go. So right. we traveled all over the world. Yeah, it was oh, kind of wow. awesome.
1: And, yeah. and so did the... Did, your kids are in college now. They're in college. yeah,
3: third, starting their third year.
1: And did you homeschool all the way up until college?
3: No, they always had the choice to go back into uh, you know traditional schooling every year. We gave it was their choice. Yeah. Um, but they loved you know when they were really really young. They loved going to Disneyland you know four <laughs> times a month and whatever because we had you know had uh, season passes and in the the winter time. They loved going up and snowboarding whenever they could, you know, felt like it. So yeah. they were giving up quite a bit schedule wise to choose to go back to school, but they decided in high school that they wanted to. So they did.
1: Well, that's good because at least, because yeah. my, my question would have been like, how do they socialize? Like, how do kids who are, home, who are homeschooled their whole lives then all of a sudden socialize? You with get, other kids, you get
3: you get socialized pretty good, you know. And I have this discussion with people. I'm sure I'm gonna I'm gonna get uh, blasted by some and supported by others. But I don't really care because it's my life. So <laughs> fuck, <laughs> fuck off.
1: <laughs> um, <laughs> it's like you don't I mean that's
3: pretty much no it is much,
1: that's the beginning of every well I'm sure I'm going to get blasted by someone's support by this person in my life so fuck off like yeah, be your Twitter
3: bio. yeah it pretty much is but um <laughs> but no it's like everybody's going to take offense or have an opinion and that's great you know but but like just if you're going to discuss it with anyone at any point their their life choices d- discuss it don't don't pontificate don't sure. sort, of, sort of like say you have the the answer but you know the, the, there's not a tremendous amount of things Things. Like like if I told you um what are the what are the cool three coolest things that you ever learned in the schoolyard. Right. Uh, or if I said, what are the shittiest things that ever happened to you in the schoolyard, I guarantee you there's one of those lists that would fill up much quicker than the other. Right. And it's not the what are the coolest things right. that happened. Right. So there's not there's not like in you know, Lord of the Flies, man, It's like there's not a lot of really useful stuff that's necessarily learned in that hive mentality other than to operate in that hive mentality, right. to shut up, to get in line, to do all the things that make you a kind of a crappy adult.
1: Right. Do <laughs> you know what
3: I mean? It's like, it's like, don't question authority, shut up, get in line. Right. Oh, hmm. And when you get older, be your own person. Stand up for what you believe in.
1: Why wasn't Where? taught any was of those things?
3: The <laughs> last twelve years, he told me exactly the opposite. Wait a minute!
1: So <laughs> shut up. Get yeah.
3: In line. <laughs> I, so I, I strongly believe if you're raising, like if your kids are really hard, you know, at home and they question a lot of stuff. That's kind of good you're, you're, It's not even kind of good. it's great you're, you're raising good adults, and that's what we're trying to do is raise adults. not you're not trying to raise children who just conform and fall in line and do everything you know, people are going to question things and follow their own dreams and be themselves and and give something to society, not just sort of help you know stand in line
1: Ah that's an interesting that's an interesting idea i mean it's it's funny how you can sort of look at a you know you can essentially say about the same thing, but the nuance of saying. Raising good adults as opposed to raising good children is a—it's mm-hmm. it, a significant shift yeah. in the way that you think about. Because I, you know, I think there are so many things that we are, especially, you know, with the education system in this country, are not equipped to do when we are mm-hmm. older, like. No one ever taught, you know, no school ever teaches you, unless you go to, you know, specifically some type of a a specialty college to understand it or major in, how to deal with money, Mm -hmm. how to deal with property, Mm -hmm. how to deal with debt, how to deal with, you know, these types of responsibilities. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I know that there are lessons to be learned from, you know, taking classes for things that may or may not interest you, but understanding that sometimes you have to sit through shit You have to understand how to absorb information, regurgitate that information, work well within a social structure, give, take, share, but at the same time... Most of the practical things you need to know as an adult are not taught no. when you're young by no. anyone. So no. if a parent doesn't do it, yeah. that kid just doesn't really learn. Exactly. No. It,
3: exactly. And, and I and I get it. I mean, to all the teachers listening out there, I get it. I mean, everything is there's a structure in place that that's the only way to handle that many you know kittens in your basket. Yeah. You know, it's just like there needs to be order and structure to it, or, or literally people will will die. Yeah. You know, it's like it's it's insane but it's you know there there there's better ways out there and there's other ways um and um you know i think people need to be open to you know sometimes if their their kid isn't um you know if school's not a good fit for them you know, traditional school. There are other there are other options. Sometimes, you know, not everyone not everyone has those options available to them. But um, there are other options and, and different ways to learn, and, and and different kids learn in different ways, and and that shouldn't be like a bad thing. That's just that that should be an awesome thing, right? You know?
1: Right. So yeah, I mean, listen, I I honestly, I teacher I have so much respect for teachers, just because oh, I think yeah. when you're young. And your teacher's a little harsh sometimes. You go, man, if I were a teacher, I'd be a cool teacher. And I'd do this and I'd do that. And then you get older and you realize, like, no, you can't oh, yeah. do that because the kids would fucking destroy you. Yeah, yeah but there were those cool teachers. There were cool you teachers. You know, everyone
3: has, like, that one or those two that they remember. And it's like you sort of go,
1: what, like, what is that,
3: you know? It's like the kryptonite.
1: Well, I think it's, you know, the, those teachers are also good performers, Probably. You know what I mean? It's like they yeah. are – they know – they, they – and I think it's it's a little bit too of – I don't know. Maybe it was just like right time, right class, right, right everything. Yeah. You know, there were a lot of things that were involved. But, you know, the teachers that, I, that really stuck out to me the most, you uh, were not they, – they could handle the overwhelming amount of stress and pressure from mm-hmm. maintaining a classroom. And I think it was just a personality type. They could just take it in stride – They didn't take shit, but not in a really harsh way. Yeah,
3: they they flipped it. They flipped it. Yeah,
1: they flipped it. Or they, you know, like my favorite teachers were always really funny. That's what I responded to. me too. But (laughs) I also understand that, you know, if you have – if you're teaching several classes and you have a bunch – especially now where kids are on their fucking phones or they're, you know, whatever, not paying attention – I mean, I, I honestly, I think I, I, think I would last maybe a half a week as a teacher before <laughs> I'd be like, "Fuck all of you!" Exactly. you know, like it, it, Fine, <laughs> don't learn. I don't give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like I think I would just lose my mind. Chris I think is my favorite
3: teacher ever. <laughs> I told us to what go happened? Fuck he told us to go fuck ourselves and then he left.
1: It was the most empowering. Yeah,
3: and that was in September. <laughs> But it's June. I know. It's I know. been
1: awesome. <laughs> well, you know, what's interesting is that I remember uh when I was uh, when I was in college, I, I drifted all over the UCLA campus, you know, I I started in South Campus which was more science and math, and then I and then uh, which I felt was, you know, too overstructured for my tastes. And then I went to the art department, which I felt was too understructured, like I had professors who just like didn't you know, I had one painting professor just didn't show up. He was like, or it was a sculpture professor. He was like, "Oh, just, you know, take whatever you want from the junkyard and make it And by the end of the year, you know, I'll just give you an A anyway." And I felt like, "Well, that's that I would think that'd be awesome, but it was too little structure." Yeah. So I ended up in the philosophy department where we said what is structure?
3: <laughs> where we where we defined where we, why that person was a bad teacher.
1: Exactly, exactly. Where did you go? Did you go to school?
3: I went to yeah, I wound up at CalArts. Nice. Um, which was an amazing experience for me. Um, but I started out in uh, City College uh, in Riverside.
1: As a performer at CalArts?
3: I, yes. Yeah. I was in the acting school. I was the only college. I, I didn't like school. I never liked school. Um, I loved the social aspect, aspects of it. Yeah. I loved the band. I loved the choir. I loved theater. Um, but I just, I hated like sort of sitting through class and, you know, and, and my dad had a theory on it, I and mean, he was he was ultimately right. But um, I, I realized that I could sort of look in, the, in the, the, the 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 textbooks back then would have these sort of um, uh, chapters, and then at the end of the chapter, there was this sort of pink highlight or blue highlight paragraph that would sort of recap. The whole paragraph. And I realized, well, you just have to read that, <laughs> and then you'll be fine. I mean, I wasn't trying to be get A. I didn't care like what my grades are. I just wanted to pass, right? Because I had other. Th- I had to go to band. You know, right. we were taking a trip. we were doing this. we were doing cool stuff. You know, so I, I just did fine in school. So fine doesn't get you into any cool college, and and fine doesn't sort of set you up for what you want to do next. So, I mean, I grew up in New Jersey. Uh, I was doing theater, and it was sort of like. Well, you, you know, you're not going to be an actor because, like, you need to go get a job. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like it's blue collar it was, but I learned uh, construction from my dad, um, learned furniture building, and uh, I used that to pay my way through school. And uh, I went up. Like, long story short, I, I went to City College because I was going to get an engineering degree because I, I figured I had to get some kind of other degree. Didn't have any proclivity for engineering or, or any kind of, like, sort of drive to become an engineer. But it was sort of like, once again, it was sort of like, well, I could, it's easy. I could go do that. Right. Um, and one day I was drafting a plate, drawing a big, huge three-dimensional bolt or something. And my dad walked in and he was like, what, what are you doing? I was like, I'm drawing a bolt. I'm doing my homework, you know? He's like, no, like, what are, you, what are you doing with your life? And I was like, you know like John Cusack and say anything, you know, it's like, I'm, it's like, um, you you mean right now? (laughs)
1: Um,
3: so we, we, we got into this talk about, uh, you know, I was trying to figure something out as a fallback, um, for acting and I knew that acting was probably not going to, you know, nobody makes a living doing that, uh, in my world. And, uh, he basically said, "Well, you have a fallback. I've, you know, you know furniture. You know, you know, you know construction. You can always go do that. You enjoy doing it. He said, like, Why don't you go try to do what you want to do?'
1: Damn,
3: nice. Yeah. So I quit school the next day, <laughs> and then so, and, you, so you really thought long and hard. Yeah, about yeah. And then that. he basically was like." what are you doing?
1: <laughs> you just said, <laughs> no, I know. Not,
3: not, you could have finished out the semester, you could, you know, um, and I, I, but I, I didn't want to go to school, you know, so I, 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 I found an art school, um, that I, you know, from everything I read and saw and whatever, we didn't have to like write papers all the time. We were just pretty much, you know, fully immersed in doing what we wanted to do. um, the history you took was history of theater. The the English you took was all based on uh, literature of theater. It was all things that that tied in to things that I loved to do. So it didn't seem like school to me, right? You know, it was exci- everything was exciting because every I was interested in everything, and um, I got accepted. And I had to transfer in as a uh, the only the program only takes you in as uh, as late as a second year student. So you have. So I, I, mean, I had gone to City College for almost full two years, so I had a lot of backed up credits. Um, so I, I almost had fulfilled all my um, general ed stuff. So I was literally able to, for the three years that I was at CalArts, just act. Oh, wow. Um, so it was, it was pretty pretty amazing for me. That's fantastic. Yeah. And in the summers, while I was doing that, I paid my way through school doing, film for, uh, doing uh, construction for film and television. And when I got out of school, I rolled right into that and was a construction coordinator on Beverly Hills 210, the first one, and did that um, on and off, and uh, just had a had a whole other career while I was trying to get my career going.
1: Oh my god, that's crazy! It was, it was so the awesome. whole time, like D- Dylan and Brenda were rolling around in the sack, you were right off the side, like building the bed I was
3: measuring (laughs) how big the sack
1: was
3: (laughs) (laughs) no but yeah absolutely and I was and I wound up doing the show I did I did I think a total of 12 or 14 episodes on the show. Holy shit! I was Tony... Did you watch the show?
1: Uh, not really. <laughs>
3: I mean, it was... Uh... I was Tony Miller. I took uh, Brenda to the prom. You,
0: Oh, my God. And then
3: I was in this steroid episode. That was my big <laughs> entrance. Because <laughs> it was like... And that's another... That's a funny story, too, because it's like... The, you know, we when I was on the show, when I was doing cons- the construction, you know, I was pulled in by the producers, and they were basically like, look, we know you're an actor, but... You can't be on the show. I mean, you know, you're an old, you are know, you look young enough to be on the show, but you can't be on the show. It's a conflict of interest. It's just not. It's not going to work out. So please don't ask us. We're just it's just preemptive. We just want you to know. I go. It's, you guys let me come and go as I please for my auditions and stuff. So I'm, I'm cool. I'm here to do your construction. And then a River Runs Through It came out, which was the first film I had ever done. And I got called back into the office again, and like. Okay, so we didn't know you were really an actor. We just thought like you were an actor. Um, we got this thing we want you to do next week, and I was like, "Well, what happened to the whole conflict of interest thing?" Well, we're kind of we're we're willing to look past. We just that. made that up, you know? it's so like, you wouldn't bother that's us. Exactly, and I was like, "Oh, interesting. Okay, so so I wound up going back and forth." Um, so you didn't think
1: episodes. I was good enough to be on your yeah. dramatic exactly. masterpiece. Exactly. exactly. 90210. The, 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 the <laughs> the preemption. Just, you always want to say to them, like, uh, you know this isn't, like, yeah. theater, right? <laughs> exactly. Mean, like, you know, oh, we'd love to have it's you. It's a teen soap opera. I don't
3: really think I want to do your show. <laughs> no, you know, I that was an amazing experience for me. Was, and Chuck Rosen, um, man, that, him and his wife and his whole team that were working on that show at the time, they did stuff on that show that was not being dealt with anywhere oh yeah like the, the drug use, and, stuff, and yeah. bulimia and cutting and like I mean I, it was all happening to like one person which, right. which is like that's you know unrealistic in a way but but not but the idea of the things that they were they were having were, these conversations it was, and, and no one else was and it was like I remember reading scripts and just thinking how are they going to do this even today, to have a, a main character that somebody loved, to have something like that happen to, would be a huge topic, and should be a huge topic. But would be something. It's it's not something that's done often, or or talked about often on television. You know. It's well, like,
1: I, I just I remember at the time I was in college, and so it was it was outside my you know like I was a big comedy guy and I liked a lot of weird stuff and. So it, w- it was it was sort of outside my my sphere of influence, and it was also at a time when, <laughs> if you wanted to see something, and you couldn't watch it when it was airing, you would have to videotape that thing. Yes, yeah. yeah. And you know, of course, uh, VHS tapes uh, sure you know, cost money. So what am I going to do? I'm going to tape. It Who taped a- over mine? My- <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. You're so like- it wasn't uh, you know it was it was just outside. That's really f- amazing though that you had gone to do this movie. And then, of course, th- then you have to come back on set and be like, well, you know, um, Bob Redford was telling me this really interesting. Uh, I mean, you got to drop that when they, when they think that maybe you weren't good enough to be on the show before. Well, Bob Redford says. it's like,
3: uh, it's Mr. Bob to me. <laughs> I think it's Mr. Bob to anybody. He was telling us about what he grew up in Van Nuys, if, I'm, if I remember I correctly. Yeah. Or, or he spent his family lived at one point in Van Nuys. For all you, uh, I find myself like correct, preemptively correcting myself because I know somebody's going to be go like,
1: "He didn't grow up in Van Nuys. He wasn't Van Nuys. He grew up in Wisconsin. They moved to Van Nuys for like eleven years, and, or, or even more." You know, it's like he didn't grow up in Van Nuys. He was. It was like Van o- Nuys. He was on Van Owen <laughs> which is closer to Chatsworth or Reseda. It's like really Reseda. You exactly. fucking idiot! Exactly. Like,
3: whoa, exactly. Whoa, whoa. Yes, but the point of this story is, <laughs> Butthead head. Um, he grew up in Van Nuys. And there was nothing out there, you know, he's, farms, you know, He talks about like all of Van Nuys and he goes, it's just like there's a dirt road where Sepulveda was and farms, you know, and you're literally like, Holy crap. That was that was not that long ago, right? You know, from when when we were doing. But of this.
1: course, that's where they were shooting all the stag films. That was the birth of the porn industry. Yes, which would later become Vanize's uh, defining quality. There you go. Uh, <laughs> did, so that was just a straight audition. You just auditioned for that. And it got was, the, I did.
3: Uh, Elizabeth Listig was the casting director. Um, you're talking about River, River Runs Sur- yeah. Yeah, and I, I auditioned. Um, I had never even met Elizabeth. I went in and met with her. We did we did the audition. She was like, "That was fantastic." I felt really great about it. Um, and then it went away, and I didn't hear anything for three months. Um, I didn't even know like to check in. Like, did hey, did we hear anything? You know, there was no. I was just did it and walked away and thought, oh, that went great, and went went back to work. And um, in the end. Uh, we get a call. Um, are you available to? What is that?
1: Your watch? That was like I was trying, <laughs> I was trying to help. It's the, it's the winder. It's like I'm smacking it down.
3: <laughs> the clicking you were hearing was my watch. I'm not helping. <laughs> um, they 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 say, "Can you can you be out?" You know, we have to leave uh, next Monday. It was like a Wednesday. I was like, "Leave ne- for what?" Like uh, river runs through it. They want, they want to cast you. I was like, "What?" Well, Sure, like yes, yeah, yes, I th- yes, I think, babe. Can I leave? Is, er, yeah. So I finally get there, and Elizabeth tells me that you know, Robert, Mister Redford, saw my tape, loved the tape, and said, "That's who we have to. We got to find that guy up here. We got to find a local. So we're casting locals." And every time somebody read, he would compare him. He's like, yeah, but they, they, I just—he needs to be bit more like what that other guy did it. And Elizabeth finally went to him. She said, "You, you know, this is like his first job ever. You know, he's, he would pay he, you to do this job. He's not going to be expensive." <laughs> <laughs> so they were like, "Oh, well, yeah, okay." And then they just—they just brought me up. So you'll sleep in your car? Yeah, yeah, yeah pretty totally. much. I would have, you know, I would have at the time. Um, I would now probably to, to work with him again. Uh, it was amazing, amazing experience. And he, you know, we were we were setting up some. The shot, one of the first scenes I did. It was, it was the full scene, but by myself. And he was talking to me, or he wasn't. He actually, I was. I was out there. I walked out, and we we, we started chatting about the setup. And they had a whole bunch of stuff set up already. And and he says, "I just want you to I want you to do exactly what you did in the audition." I said, <laughs> "Okay."
0: That was months All ago. Right.
3: Yeah, <laughs> three months ago, asshole. <laughs> um. <clears throat> um and he goes, no, no, he goes, I, it just, you know, you, you just nailed it. And I said, and I, and then we got to talking about directing and he had done obviously some, some amazing work as a director before that. And I said, what, uh, you know, what, what do you love doing more now? And he says, well, the directing is, is, is actually all my work is done beforehand. He says, if you find the, you know, the right script that, you, that moves you, you know, you're passionate about, you find the right DP who wants to visually tell the same story that you want to tell and tell it in a way that enhances what you want to tell, and you find a cast that all line up with what they're supposed to be doing, then you, you pretty much just sit back and watch it happen. Now, obviously, that's a, an incredible oversimplification sure. of it. but you you start to realize, and that's when that shorthand comes with the crew and with the DP and trusting the people you have around you and not, not trying to force everything into what you think you want it to be yeah. based because you don't necessarily have the people that you really wanted around you. So for me, it was, it was a really awesome creative lesson about setting yourself up for success. And, um, uh, Chris Chulak did this when we did Southland, uh, just trusting the people around you to do their jobs and to help elevate what you're doing as opposed to throwing a little something in, you know, that might make them stumble and doubt what they're doing so they're not living up to their, you know, complete creative potential. So, so it's a lot about not stifling other people um, and embracing that creative sort of uh, environment. Yeah, micromanaging
1: um, is dumb. I, I It just kills I, I, it. I it don't like to micromanage it. people. I assume, like, if you hire someone or if you're working with someone... You really need to come from a place of, well, they probably know what they're doing. And if they don't, yeah. then we'll figure it out then.
3: Absolutely. But Don't, don't fix a problem before there yeah. is
1: one. And also, you want to make sure that you don't, that your voice doesn't, you know, because I'm sure, you know, there are some people, writers, directors, I'm not going to mention any names, but all, when all the characters talk, you go, oh, well, that's all the same guy. Yes. You know, as opposed to letting everyone sort of. Yeah. Elevate by bringing something of themselves to it, something organic that's a part of them. Yep. And uh, but I think it's really hard, you know, it's really hard for some people to just sit back and and let ev- let everything go. But that's you know, that's how you know, that's how the the music is made.
3: And it's you know, on, on set especially, you know, you you come on, you do you do your work at home where you you. you I always call everything that I do is basically my fallback. I work it out, you know, I look at the script and I think in my head, okay, this is, this is what I feel this scene is about. And, and, and no matter what happens, if I remember this, I'm going to be okay. Right. And then you come in and you, and you have some, you, you know, you're seeing one or two or three people who've done the same thing at home and are bringing things that are completely different. Now you can either try to force everybody into doing what you want to do, or you can go. Oh my gosh, I never, I never even thought of that. That, that's kind of awesome. Yeah, that's that elevates. You know what I was doing, and my thing elevates what you were doing. And suddenly you have this. You know, it works in this pyramid. And you know, the director comes in and goes, "Yeah, but what if you were over there and you came in and you did it this way?" And you, and you're, oh my gosh! And then it, you know, and it just, it just gets better and better if you let it. Yeah, you know, and that to me, that's the most exciting thing about you know just what we do.
1: Well, and, and also your training of, cause you've done a million television shows yeah. and yeah. you've done a bunch of movies. I mean, you've done so many, I was, just, I was looking at your IMDb page and it's like, Oh, you did one episode of this, one episode of this, one episode of this, one episode of this. And you've done, a lot of stuff. We and used to
3: joke. I had my I had my own for three years. I was doing so many shows. I had my own show, but the casting crew kept changing every week. <laughs>
1: <laughs> there was it. That was a, it. was like a Truman Show thing. Exactly. And everything else was happening around you. Exactly. But I mean, it. You know, like what an incredible training ground for having to come in, fit into a, an existing situation, nail the thing, go away. You know, emotionally, mm-hmm. be able to go. Okay, I'm done with that now you know yeah. i mean was there a certain point where you started to feel like where's my fucking show i'm trying to do what other people shows no uh,
3: i you know i you never know as a you know what I'm considered a character actor i guess as i'm getting older i'm i'm dabbling in leading man i guess with with southland i kind of went into a different thing so i don't know i don't like to label it but when they're talking about it everyone else labels it um, i um I was just happy to work. I was just happy to to be doing work I was excited about. Uh, I I also saw that the the typically the leads of the show did did very little uh, in the sense of emotional growth. Um, mm-hmm. Not not from the actor standpoint, but from the way the show is written. You know, it's you know, you, I would come in as a guest, and all these wonderful dramatic things were happening, and the leads of the show were
1: sort of like, hmm. Their characters like procedural, yeah, like a procedural. Yeah, and
3: they're just watching it happen, and they're not. They're not. They're they're not typically character driven. They're story driven, um, and event driven. So it's it's not necessarily affecting them in an emotional way, in the same way it does as the guests. So if you yeah. look on television, the, the guest stars have the these amazing emotional, th- cathartic things that are happening to them every week. So for me, that was that was very exciting, um, and you know. It was also great training for seeing if I ever did land on a show that was going to be, you know, my show or I was going to be able to help put my um, sort of whatever mark or imprint on it, how I would treat people when they came right. um, to my show. Because right. I was, as as many other guest actors, there's many years of being shit upon. Yeah. Um, and, it's, and, it, and instead of making me angry, it just made me sort of go, OK, I will never do that right i know how i want to be treated and and it's interesting because people would would do things to you and you realize they think they're being selfish i mean they're not like going through the process of thinking it but that like if you from the outside looking at it you go oh that person's being selfish mm-hmm. when you realize the most selfish thing you could actually do is embrace the guest when they come in because it's just going to elevate both your performances. <laughs> so, so the most selfish thing you can do is actually
1: be nice. <laughs> if for no if for, if no, for no other, other reason. reason, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. do it for the show. But you know, I think I think what can happen, particularly in a procedural show like that, is that it becomes. You know, at first it's like, oh my god, great! I'm on a show. Oh, it's yeah. great! All oh, this show looks like this is going to run for a while. And then once the sheen of that wears off, like, oh,
3: this is, oh, is going to run this for a while. A whole lot.
1: <laughs> wow. Okay. Well, I had all the money that I cared about having, and now I'm just showing up, and somehow, yeah. and I, you know,
3: because I, I think at that point you got—that's when you need to step in and remove yourself.
1: Well, it, because I think it's what you said. Like, if the characters aren't growing, if you're not in a state of growing, uh, then the, you there's not a lot of joy in that i don't think because you just can't you're not doing anything nope. you're just showing up and flapping your lips and then leaving and uh you know and if you put uh, if 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 a lot of your identity is in your work then i would imagine you know cuz some people can maybe do that and it's like oh well i do this but i really like to paint and i have a family that i'm excited about and this is really just this pays the bills and it's fine but if it's such a part of your identity and that's not growing at all, then I can imagine it's very stifling, and I think people just get shitty and cranky. because no, they, they, they do. They become unhappy and they, they start do. to implode slowly. Yep.
3: Yeah, but I and mean, that's the thing that's sort of mind blowing too, because it, because people do at times get to the point where they're like, well, this is just my my gig and I make money. Like people are like losing their minds to try to get just a piece of that work right you know like they're, they're, they're it's it, like that's all they, you know their whole lives struggling and they can't do that and then you have someone who's doing it and just completely ungrateful for it
1: <laughs> it's it's, it's kind of screwed up but those people probably had issues going into probably you know yeah. like I don't think I don't necessarily think that people and no we're in know. the same I, I know where you're going with, well, with my, a few but, exceptions no, some people I, I
3: always say uh, 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 fame and money don't make you an asshole Right. Fame and money make you the fully realized asshole <laughs> you always were.
1: <laughs> they are the seeds that allow that yes. to sprout.
3: Yes. And if you are a cool person, fame and, and money make you the fully realized cool person. You know, take a Brian Cranston. Right. Take a Tom Hanks. You know, Colin Hanks. Like, I mean, you know, it's like it just it's it doesn't it changes you. We're not changing it. It enhances what was always there.
1: Yeah, but I also think a lot of it has to do with um, why why people do it. If someone is doing something to get fame and money, then once they get that thing and they go, "Oh, I don't know what else to try for now." I got the thing I wanted, and this isn't fucking you know, like there was no where there were no there fireworks. Was, there was, there was no, no kaboom. Yeah, there was no kaboom. It just <laughs> happened. But you know, when people, but that's why I think it's really important to enjoy the process. When you enjoy the process. Then all that stuff comes and goes. It doesn't doesn't matter as much as long as you're doing the thing that you love. You know, and that's with Cranston. It's like, he just loves acting. Yeah. So it does. he would be doing it if, you know, if he weren't famous mm-hmm. and he were living in a studio apartment. As long as he could act enough to survive, he'd be happy. Yep. And so those are the types of people that tend to really thrive when it's not, su- you know, like – when it doesn't come from such a desperate, needy place to be, you know...
3: They're also the most fun to perform with. Yeah. You know, so they 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 like to share their work.
1: But, the, but you know, one of the... I think one of the really interesting and wonderful things about Walking Dead is that you, it's one of the few shows, and I can't think of a lot of other shows, where the audience accepts the fact that new people are going to come on. It was like, I think people accepted you... Right away, they're like, "We're in." He's part of the group. Which was Abraham crazy. Ford? We love yeah. him. There he is. There was no like, "Who's this guy? What's his yeah. fucking deal?" Yeah, you know, no, like- I know.
3: Which was crazy because I thought. Having read the 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 sort of the the online battle at the time, because I think it's softened actually over time. I think the fact that Kirkman's so involved with everything that softens it. But it was it was very much the 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 graphic novel faction versus the the TV faction. Right. When I was this is middle of season four. And, you know, on the, I went, and, you know, which you should never, never do out there. <laughs> never go into the chat room. Don't go to the, don't don't um, read but, about it. You but, you know, but I heard what they were doing and they're like, you know, who's going to cast, blah, 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 what's going to happen? And then when I, when I first came on, I, I, I went there, which was in retrospect, asinine. <laughs> but they <laughs> loved me. You <laughs> <laughs> they, lo- you know, they loved me. I literally watched my, my, um my Twitter feed I, I was on, on Southland for five years and over the five years on Southland I was on Twitter from pretty early on because we were using it as a tool to to advertise the show um, I had something like 22,000 followers hard earned followers right. and, and, and I'm not kidding when I and, and I'm sure you go through this because you have I, I see your Twitter feed and you, you go back as well with a lot of people there's you there's a couple hundred people that you know yeah right, from Twitter yeah like you don't know their personal life, or the thing, but you like you you and you remember the the conversations, and you know how you know them, and the things. That and we when talk they show about. up at events, they go, "Hey, I'm so and so." They like, "Oh my god! That's, oh yeah, you're, you're the, the icon you with the spaceship with yes. the with the gun." Yeah, yes. yeah. And and people don't realize that we like connect like that. And there, there were hundreds of people that I that I knew um, from Southland. And when I was announced in when we did the announcement in New York, that thing at uh, New York Comic Con, I just to sort of check it out on backstage after I was finished I've clicked onto my Twitter and I watched my Twitter and I watched the numbers just (laughs) I was like I was literally like holy crap And and then I was told afterwards oh yeah this is on a live feed that goes out so people are like watching the panel that aren't here yeah you know it's been announced now so you're out so and I just literally just Twenty three, twenty four thousand, twenty five, twenty six, twenty eight. But like a week later, it was up to 125,000. 125, <laughs> I like got another hundred and three thousand followers. Yeah. in the course of like four or five days, just from being announced, and I hadn't even done anything yet. Yeah, you know. So and then when we came on, it was it was they loved it. It was great, and it's I'm very thankful for it.
1: It's such a, I mean, I can't imagine what. Uh, that experience is like because you know people people watch the show from the point of view of of, you know like the way that they understand how the show works the show's on Sunday nights people sit in their living room they watch it it's it's already made but you know the process of I know it is an unglamorous process can be you know, when you're, <laughs> I know, you know, I mean, you've worked, you worked in construction, so you know, like construction is yeah. hard work. Yeah. But, you know, in the, in the heat of the, of uh, the, in the heat of the uh, Georgia summer yeah. out there running around screaming, crying, fighting, like it's a very, it is an incredibly physical show. Yeah. You know, you guys are checking for ticks every day when you go yeah. back after being in the woods, you know. I mean, and, and you're kind of isolated in this really small town, Sonoy, outside of, uh, outside of Atlanta, and, uh, you know, so I imagine it's probably pretty weird to be there and working and then all of a sudden you emerge and it's like, oh, you go to a convention, you go to, oh, wow, I guess people are watching this. I yeah. really just thought I was running around in the woods, you know, yeah. for, for no reason for six months. Well, I think that's
3: that's kind of one of the the sort of the things that makes the show special, um, as you were saying, but, but in, a, in a different way the isolation from the industry, the isolation from when I was doing Southland, you know, we you know, and when we were doing uh uh standoff with Ron Livingston and Rosemary DeWitt, they were you know, we were in town. You know, so there would be uh, hey, we're we're shoot, you know we're shifting the scene today because Ron's going to go do you know Conan mm-hmm. and then Rosemary's got to do thing and then they want you tomorrow for Access Hollywood so we're going to move that scene to the we don't have any of that <laughs> you know schedules the schedule I mean every once in a while you guys come out and do a block yeah. of stuff and you know it's kind of behind the scenes stuff and it's all scheduled in and you and you guys work around our schedule mm-hmm. when we become available for you or we're brought in for you guys um, and the foreign press we do the same thing but. You know, when you're in town, you you are sort of like, well, no, that thing shoots at eleven, so you got to be there at eleven. So we got to stop what we're doing here and move you over there. Yeah. And people come on set. No, they only have it for this amount of time. So you're going to do that. You know, and it it interferes with the work. Yeah. And and it pulls you out. You know, and oh, I'm got I got to go shoot this commercial for something. You're like, (laughs) what the commercial? What are you talking? You know, it, it has nothing to do with the show. Right. When we're out doing the show out in Georgia, we're out doing the show. There's only two cast members that are from that Georgia area that of, of the main cast, you know, Melissa and Chandler. And everyone else is is coming in from out of town, and we are all we have out there, you know, when we're there. So we are our family, and we're not, you know, distracted from it. Everything is about the work when you're out there. And when you're done, you come out of the cocoon, and, and you do. It's like, you know, like San Diego is like a, a glimpse of it, and you're like, holy Really? What's wow? Okay, so you go back in, you know, and then you go in for another few months, and you come back out, and the show gets delivered. And by the time everyone sees it, they're sees the first, the you know, the the premiere. We've shot all but three episodes of that season, so you know, it's almost all been done, all of it months ago. So it's it's weird. It's it's really weird. And and they 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 love. They're just they're just so awesome. The fans are. Such a loyal, awesome fan base.
1: I mean, it's been really interesting to have, you know, this front row seat for all Mm -hmm. of it. Because in the beginning, you know, the cast was a little suspicious about what Talking Dead was. And so they were a little, you know, a little weird about being involved or coming on and stuff. And then, but then a couple of them, you know, I got to meet them and they kind of got to see what it was. It's like, oh yeah, we're not, we're not trying to fuck anyone over. We're here to support you. And you know, like Steve Young listened to the podcast, so he knew who. You know, like he was, he knew it was. You know, and then over time, it's like, oh, okay, yeah, now now they trust and they understand. You know, the well, because because
3: I think as performers, people we like to we like to talk about the subject matter of quote the show, right? We don't necessarily like to talk about our process. Sure, and I think when anyone says, "Hey, we're going to talk about that thing you are doing," the first thing you are like, the, the you know, the shields come up, and you are like, look. I wanna talk about that. I wanna talk about that. What did you feel when you were like t- I'm not talking about how I felt? Nobody wants to know how I felt. I'm not gonna give you the magic. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm gonna I'm gonna explain it to you. So it's gonna be a terrible is. experience. Like you always can understand. I'm gonna realize I can't put it into words. Everyone's gonna figure out I don't know what the fuck I'm doing, and I'm never gonna work again. Then I'm gonna get to- <laughs> that's what I
1: know, <laughs> I I'm never, gonna, never work gonna work again. I'm gonna I'm gonna get too aware of what I'm so doing. So Chris, I'm busy.
3: <laughs> tell them I'm out of town no but they know you're not tell them
1: I'm tell them I'm so tell them someone's getting hurt that day those two <laughs> I mean, you said two very you said two like really big statements that I think are so true which was I don't know what I'm doing, and, and I'm, I'm never going to work again. <laughs> I mean, those the, yeah. <laughs> the, two, the two things yeah. that power a performer. Yeah,
3: absolutely, every time we finish a job as as, a, as an actor, you're <laughs> you typically you know your longest job in the feature will be approximately three months, unless like you're doing a huge you know big epic thing that's maybe five six months. But typically, for most working actors, three months or. Uh, an eight day run on a TV show and every time you are done you are literally laying in bed that night going that was amazing I'm never gonna work again yes that was
1: it huh (laughs) honey that was it shut up and go to bed exactly exactly Exactly. (laughs) after 25 years
3: I can honestly say that I went home after I finished The Walking Dead and I was like I wonder what's next, <laughs> which was a great feeling.
1: Well, I mean, you know, I, obviously when you come on a show like Walking Dead, when you come on Walking Dead specifically, you know Abraham dies. Yeah. Did you know when
3: he was going? I didn't through? know when, but I, I, you know, I knew that when I, when I met with Scott before I, I took the job, um, we, we talked about him and his, his sort of want and desire to bring the show closer to the comic um, you know, and, and that—that's why it was so important to have that—that that iconic entrance of the three characters that matched up, you know, almost perfectly with the color cover of the comic. Right. Um, with Abraham's army coming in, and you know, with the gun up, and the you know, the, the, the sort of the, the receding, you know, flying V. Right. right. They come in, and you know, and and I knew that with getting closer to the comics meant the, the narratives would be closer to the comics. So when I read where when he left and then saw what happened after that and with being on the show and seeing how many new characters were going to be coming on, I knew it was coming up. I figured I had two, two, maybe three years on the show total. It, it was obviously closer to three and then looked like, it was like, oh, well, they're not following the comic exactly, so they might keep me around for all out right. war for a little bit. But there were so many other characters coming in and with the, um, with the sort of mechanism of Daryl, um, and by mechanism I mean storytelling mechanism. Right. It's like he he is the confidant of Rick, right. and and Michonne and 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 Carol to to an extent. But in the graphic novel, everyone who gets close to Rick dies. Right. Early on, anyway. You know, you, you lose Tyrese, you lose Abraham. But before he lost him, these these characters became very very close with him, uh, confided a lot, and became very. Cl- good friends which helped drive those characters as well we never really did that as much because Daryl is there you know so Abraham can only get so close right you know and then you're sort of like well we have all these other characters this isn't going to evolve we have a side story going on but that actually pulls us away from the center which is the story of Rick's keeping his family together right so all these stories you know they're just going to sort of fall off as we drive forward and new characters come in so I knew, you know, uh, that as we were coming into the season when I was told, I was sort of like, you know, I told my wife, I said, this, this might be the last one. I said, and, you know, I said, maybe one more, you know, after maybe one more. And then I got the call in August, and I, and I talked to Scott. and I, you know, well, Actually, I got a call that from, from one of the ADs that said, hey, uh, Scott wants to set up a meeting with you next week. <laughs> Hilarious. Meeting next week at Tuesday at 10 o'clock. And I'm like, I've been on the show for three years. Scott has never set up a meeting with me. <laughs> So, so a yeah. mouse? So, then? Yeah. No. It so was, it, was, it was a voice message. So I called Scott. And I was like, "Hey." He's like, "Hey." I said, "What's this meeting about?" He's like, "Well, I we should. Uh, I want to talk about the meeting." I said, "Well, I mean, I'm getting ready to head into a weekend." I said, "So I really don't want this like to be worrying." Um, I said, Am I, "Are you killing me?" So, well, why would you? I what? <laughs> Can we talk on Tuesday? <laughs> I said, no, it's not a bad thing, Scott. I said, I just want to know. I don't want to, like, like I just want to know if if you're going to kill me. It's fine. Like, I, I, just, I just don't want to be wondering over the weekend because there's a lot of planning that goes into yeah. this. You know, as far as keeping my apartment or not keeping my apartment or what's going to happen. You know, like, there's a lot of moving parts to it. Um, you know, it's not. I'm not like a kid that you're keeping a secret from. Right. Like um, he's like, well, yeah. He said we're not, but we're not sure exactly when. So you're going to be at the end of this season, the very beginning of the next, and we're still figuring all that. Out. He goes, but I still want to talk to you about some other stuff. I'm, I said that, that's fine. So we're still going to meet on Tuesday. I said, but now I. Now I can process all this. And I said, that's cool. You have an awesome weekend. He goes, well, hang on. Are you, you okay? You know? <laughs> I'm like, I'm fine. I'm really... Am. And, and, you know, and we spoke and he said, you were like, the, the that was the easiest thing I ever told anybody. And thank you for that. I said, I I get it. I said, dude, I came on the show, you know, in the middle of season four. I saw my favorite characters get killed off of this show. If you're an actor and you come on the show after after season four and you are on the show and you find out you're going to die and you are surprised by it, yeah. you're a fucking moron. <laughs> just what? just Me? straight up. Yeah, you, yeah. you. Yeah, you're, yeah, a, you're, just a, you're a fucking moron. Because <laughs> like, that's there, what the show does. There's an art. There's an
1: also an art to breaking It doesn't mean you have to like it. No, that's true. But there's an art to breaking this type of news and I think sometimes in our business... The more lengths that people go to to protect feelings, the messier it becomes. Sure.
3: Oh, yeah. No, there's always... There's, I mean, there's only the best of intentions. Yeah.
1: There was a... Uh, led led, led well, by a
3: trail of tears. <laughs> you know,
1: I, I, I remember a... Um, and this this always really stuck with me. It, years ago, probably, I don't know, maybe... Gosh, it must have been like 12 or 13 years ago, Louis C.K. was doing a sitcom, and I auditioned for it, and... I got an email from him. He was like, your audition was amazing. You know, we're going to bring you back for the producer and uh, just do what you did again. And I said, okay, great. And, uh, and uh, he said, we didn't actually, we had written this part for someone else in mind, but I really liked what you did. And so just now you're in the running. So I went back. I auditioned for the, you know, the executive producers and maybe then, I don't know, it's the studio or the network or whatever. Um, and then uh, I came home that night and just the subject line of his email was, you didn't get it and then he just said I just wanted to get that out of the way you still did a great job but it just like I said before we would already had someone else in mind and so we are going to go in that direction and sincerely I like, Scott Gimple <laughs> but I, even back then I always took I always took a, and I always really appreciated that Louis did that because it made me it's respectful. It respects that I can handle it. And it just gets it out of the way. And so, you know. Well, and then and then you realize. And then
3: all the rest of it that can't, you know, that typically comes before that is not tenderizing. and right. Bullshit and, and, you know, feeling. It's like you didn't get it. Yeah. But you right. were awesome. We actually are. We, we see there's a future. There might be a thing where we're going to try to work you in. There's no promises. You were phenomenal. You made a great impression with everybody. Right. And we look forward to next time.
1: Yeah. You should, you should really trust that the person... That you're talking to can handle, and if you know, and if they can't, then I mean, I don't know. Then maybe it's
3: they're not not, not not right. Yeah, but it's not your responsibility. <laughs> I mean, you didn't go out and go celebrate, right? You know, but yeah, sure. We you know the feelings are hurt and all that, but it's like you, but you you heal quicker. You know, it's it's literally
1: that you rip the bandage off as opposed to you know, you know. I I had get I was I didn't know who it was I didn't know who was going to die because I didn't you know it protects me and it protects the fans. If I don't know ahead of time, sure, because then I can take the journey with the fans and be and be and my my reactions can be sincere, and I don't have to, you know, pretend. Like I wonder what's gonna. No, I think a lot of what your show
3: does is is it rests on the fact that you are a fan. It's not a job.
1: Well, and, and I also mean, it,
3: it is your job, but it's it's you're a fan yes. first.
1: Yes, but I also you know the way that people I've never experienced anything in in all the years that I've been working like that summer with the cliffhanger. Who was it? Who do you think it was? I don't know. Ooh. You know, you know. Exactly. And if I really did know, someone would have gotten anatomy. Yeah. And I said, you know, I honestly don't know. I, I could, you know, if I could see it being Michonne if he's trying to strike out at Rick's emotional core. I could see it being Carl if he's really trying to ruin Rick. I could see it being Lauren if they want to lose every single advertiser by killing <laughs> the pregnant woman. I mean, I could... And then I thought, you know, Abraham is a likely choice because it, in Negan's position to take out the biggest guy and be like, "Look, I took out your biggest, baddest guy, and what are you going to? There's nothing you can do about it." Um, and then I thought, well, maybe they could go traditional. Maybe it's going to be. A I mean, I really didn't know. And as upset as people, as some people were about the cliffhanger and not knowing, you know, um, I I loved that summer of having that fan experience with complete, yeah. of all ages, like grandparents and kids and you know, people my age and millennials and you know, just having people, who do you think it was? Why do you think it's this? I mean, that was, you know, for as mad as people got about not knowing, I would never trade that, I mean, this is me selfishly, for the experience of being able to connect with that many people about this shared experience. And
3: Nor do I think they would do it. The reason you get mad, the reason you get upset is because you care. You know, if nobody cared, it'd be right. like, "Who cares?" And then, like, you know, but they care, and yeah. they want to know, and they they don't really really want to know, you know. They like, they, they just want to sh- like share a, that that feeling with you, and kind of like, like they when they say, "Who you?" They, if you tell them, they'd be devastated. Yeah, they'd be like, "Oh, you you just ruined it for me.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Why did you tell me? You
3: asked me. No, I didn't really want to know."
1: Well, they definitely, you know, that whole season was so fast moving, mm-hmm. and that's the season that starts out with Daryl blowing up the motorcycle gang, and, yep. and you realize, like, "Oh, fuck, it's on," yeah. and then, you know, all of a sudden, it just stops. The momentum just stops, mm-hmm. and we don't know, and people sort of felt like, oh, we're going to find out now, and then we're going to, nope. nope, and we have to wait until October, and that fucking sucks, you know? Bastards. Uh, but but honestly, you know, I think the way Abraham went out was, I think, suck my nuts is a perfect way to, you know, was that, was there ever a conversation about what those last words should be, or was that?
3: No, they had, they had, that was always written there. The The only conversation that we had was the... We had to fix how, in the original script that we, we got, the final production draft, it had me looking, taking a look at Sasha and nodding to her. And then, uh, then I got a call from, from Scott, we were talking about some other stuff, and he said, oh, and I, I apologize, but we have to lose that look because it was pointed out to me, and I remembered that in, in the season ender for six, it's your POV, you're looking up at him, you get hit, you come up, and you get hit again. You never, ever turned your head. And the audience will know that. He goes, Now we could just say, you know, play with time and maybe find a way around it. But he goes, I, I just don't know how we're going to do it. So what we wound up doing figuring out on the day was I had suggested the the, the deuce is thrown over the peace sign. And I said, that's, that's been the audience has seen us do that to each other You know, three or four times now in very different circumstances, I said, and that is just sort of our our way of just letting each other know everything's going to be okay. Yeah, and it and it worked amazingly. You know, but um, they didn't ask me. You know, about the last lines. It was when when we were shooting it. I I told Greg I wanted to I wanted to throw one one take of doing it a different way, and uh, we just ran out of time. You know, and I had an alternate line which was "suck my red nuts." And I, and I, I, so I don't, but I don't know, you know, in retrospect, don't know. I I mean, they, you know, I'm sure because he heard it in his head, um, we would have stayed with Suck My Nuts, yeah, because that's, you know, Scott is very, in a great way, very, very particular. Um, but also if he's not a fool, if he hears something that's better than what he heard in his head he's going to roll with that too but i just think that it was um, as as most of the stuff that they wrote for me it was just purely them and me making it work and, yeah. and embracing it cuz i would get calls from from Josh all the time he's like dude you see what you got to say in you know page 27 <laughs> And I go, yeah. He's like, how, 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 like, how are you gonna say that? And I go, I go, dude. That's like my favorite line of the season. He's like, I, I knew it would be because I shouldn't even have asked. He goes, I knew, like, I'll just wait and hear it. He goes, and then, and then they would, you know, we would all share in in these scenes, and and I would always get, you know, from everybody, they're just like, I don't know how you say that shit because because you just gotta own it.
0: He's
1: well, gotta, and that's you know. what—that's what was so great about him—is you know, I mean, it's just all the bisquick talk. Oh yeah, like, you've never heard a guy talk
3: say so many words and say so
1: so little information.
3: There's <laughs> <laughs> a vast ocean of shit out there that you people
1: don't know shit about, <laughs> you know? You're like, <laughs> what? <laughs> but at the end of the day, you know, it's because he was a good guy. Like he was a good guy, and he. You know, because of where his character had come from and what he'd experienced, and he essentially his losing control affected his family, and that started his journey, and he had a lot of stuff to work through to get to get beyond that. I mean, it you know you really you, you never really felt like what an asshole." It was always like, yeah, you know, this guy is just is who he is you know yeah. he he was that guy. Especially growing up in the in the South, like oh, that's your uncle. Like you know, he's 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 lovable, but he's reliable and he's loyal. And you know, he's sometimes you don't know where he's coming from, and that's what's great about him. You know, he had that he had that real (laughs) unique unique take on the world. That he must have been an incredibly fun character to write for and play.
3: To play it, it was amazing. We we would talk when we would get drafts, and Scott and I um, we called it the sauce all the colorful language around it. And, and I would call up and go, you know, scene 24. He's like, yeah, not, yeah. More sauce. I go, <laughs> I, I go, yeah, I just, I think there's a, I think there's a little something in there. And I apologize, God, if you listen to these, if, if, if I'm telling our secret, but it was, it was something that I really embraced and, and loved about our working relationship because I never, you know, I, I feel very strongly that that writers write and actors should act, and a lot of times you know actors want to get involved in that writing process heavily, and where it's not warranted, um, sometimes things need to be fixed. Yeah, absolutely, uh, but not everything needs to be fixed um, because you can't figure it out. Uh, it's our job to figure out what they have written, mm-hmm. and and I always go to it's if I can't figure it out, it's it's on me. Until it's not. And and very often you'll sort of go, I just, I'm sorry, I don't, i line here. I've been working on it for like a week, week and a half since we got it and just can't make sense. It just not, doesn't seem like, you know, and, and, and the writer will go, oh, shoot. Yeah, that's left over from the draft on the thing. That deadline should not
1: be there. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> but also, so- <laughs> when you've been a character for a while, you kind of start having an idea of what that guy would say or what he would do or I don't know if he would you know this doesn't feel well
3: but to me that's the danger if it doesn't feel well I, I my take on it is well what what would have had to happen what's going on inside of him that he does say that because obviously it's written that he says it so to say, my character would never say that, yeah. and you go, no, it very clearly says Abraham. So <laughs> He's saying so, it right yeah. there. <laughs> and you have a, a room of people, a room of eight people, who are going back and forth about what you would and wouldn't say, who actually write every single fucking thing you say. Right, right, right. So I think you have to be careful you're not copping out and and cut, you know sort of cutting off a creative opportunity by saying, I wouldn't say that. I think it's the better question to ask initially is... What circumstances would have to take place for me to say that, mm-hmm. and try to make that work? And then, if you can't, then you go back and you have a discussion. You go, I'm, "I'm having a hard time making this work," and it may be, "No, this is because we're setting up," blah 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 blah. Right. Or they may go, oh, "Well, what would you rather?" It's not. It's not a crazy important moment, you know, for the pushing the narrative forward. So, what would you like to do in here? And then you have that discussion. But I think to approach it from as at, for an actor to approach a writer and say, I wouldn't say this, is kind of laughable. Because it's like, you, you said like, <laughs> very clearly that you say this. Well, I've written your character from day one. <laughs> the guy in the room with me created your character. So, Mr. Kirkman seemed to be okay with you saying it. You kind of would fucking say this. <laughs> yeah. So, why don't you just shut the fuck up and say the words and eat your fucking donut. <laughs> Okay? There's, there's coming that day when you're going to be laying in your bed, wondering if you're ever going to work again.
1: And guess what? You're not. So number one, you don't know what you're yeah. doing. Number two, you're never, never going to work again. <laughs> number three, oh, no. say the fucking say lines the, fucking the way line. it's written. Okay, good. So, uh, great. Just want to make sure we're on the same page? You know, I think he would say that. This is exactly <laughs> upon further consideration. A, oh! Oh, that's it. Oh. <laughs> oh, that's much okay. I just needed the yes. motivation. I just needed the motivation. Crystal clear. I got it. I mean, can, you know, <laughs> what 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 was the experience of going to work on something else after something like Walking Dead, which is an incredibly unique organism and a you know like such a a, di- a different special experience?
3: It's um the, what I went. I did a pilot afterwards, and I did uh, it was a smaller cast. Um, it, it's interesting because you have. I've had three experiences where I've had a similar feeling as as Walking Dead. Um, One was Band of Brothers, and one was Southland, and it's it it just comes down to the people and the the sort of the creative environment, Um, and it's just it's all about the intangibles, you know, just the feeling. There's no there's no like oh it was great because we all had this thing, you know, this specific structure thing where it was like a room where we all met or it was, I preferred it because it was on location or I preferred it because it was inside or this and that. It has to do with just the people involved. You know, if you get the right combination of energy with people, then you have a a Walking Dead, you have a a Southland, you have a, a, you know, a band of brothers. Um, And they're rare, you know, Um, but I... Once again, been very fortunate. Done this for a little while now, and you learn that that's rare. So you don't come to expect it, and it's not like a huge letdown when it doesn't happen. It's more of just a complete, amazing surprise when it does. Yeah, you know. So you don't. The other one, the other, the other side of it's not a negative. It's just the norm, right? You know. And I I think if you approach it that way, you'll be be fine. You know. Everybody's in it for different reasons, Um, and and every once in a while, all the reasons. Align and you're yeah. all there to do you know the same exact thing for the same exact reasons. Uh, and there's no egos. There's no nothing. It's all about the work. Whenever it's about the work, it's it. You're safe.
1: And I can't imagine what Band of Brothers must have been like. That
3: was amazing, amazing. Because because of the age of of all of us at the time, because of where we were in our careers, uh, the fact that it was a, a cast of all men, young men who. Uh, actors who traditionally, just by that those that sort of uh, subset description, would be sort of a recipe for douchebaggery. Um, you know, it just it just wasn't. You know, you can't get guys together uh, in groups. No, well, yeah, you, it, it becomes you know competitive acting. Right. You know, you know, and it wasn't. It was it was a group of young men who who very quickly. Realized the scope uh, and and importance of the project, and 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 sort of rested back in that, and and let the project sort of take us forward. It was it was life changing. Uh, I had said at one point when I finished it to my wife, I said, "Honest, honest to God, if I never worked again, I would feel like I've I've done something important in my career."
1: Was Spielberg? Was it Spielberg? Band of mm-hmm. Brothers? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so when you have that guy, yeah, who I'm but that's all we,
3: That's why we all came onto it. You know, initially we weren't. I mean, you know, when you look back, people go, "Oh, it was amazing to do." It, it was amazing to do. But all these things happened after we got cast, and in retrospect, before. We were the 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 biggest douchebags you could possibly want to come across <laughs> because we were all going, oh, it's a Spielberg project. Oh, it's a Tom Hanks project. Oh, it's going to be like Saving Private Ryan except bigger. It's going to be, oh, and it's on HBO. Oh, my gosh, I want to do this. this is going to be great for my career. This is right. going to be, but, but there was none of the, like, like these men who even, like, whatever. And then you start reading the material. You start getting into it. You do the audition. You meet, you work with Tom. You work with Steven. You see the guys you're going to work with. You meet the actual vets. And all of a sudden, you're fucking, like, you know, half an inch tall and feel like the most Insignificant piece of shit in the world next to what these men did, and you're like, Oh, okay, this is what we're here to do. Okie dokie, better not fuck this don't up. Don't fuck this up, and that's what the, that's what it became,
1: like, yeah. Because I, I could remember if we were just producer, he did, but but I mean, it's what do you learn from working with a master like that? Well, the the, the hilarity was, and this is um.
3: <laughs> this would probably cost me a job somewhere down the road. <laughs> the, the, you know, we we had um, they they were deciding whether they were going to go with with n- names or with you know with um, newcomers. Yeah. Um, and they ultimately chose uh, newcomers so they could be associated with the characters that so you weren't looking like. Oh, that's you know so and so as that
1: guy. Yeah.
3: Right. Craig Sheffer as you know whoever. It's we were the guys, but in the audition, you know. They started pairing us up, and we were all doing dialogue and had scripts in hand and going through crawling around through trenches and stuff. And Stevens walking around with a little beta cam or whatever it was at the time—35 millimeter, I don't know, whatever, some kind of video camera, you know, filming our faces and coming and walking around. So he's like filming this audition, but he's like doing it like like walking through, you know, and tripping over fucking chords and th- you know oh, oh shit sorry God. okay can we go back and do that again You know, and you're just like really Steven Spielberg just tripped over me and we have to start over again so, um, but that's how it started you know and, and when we all found out that we were all going um, you know we, we I was sent five scripts and they were highly secret they were, they were scripts that were um, uh, on a dark 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 red paper
1: oh uh, well, so, so you couldn't
3: photocopy So you couldn't photocopy it, and they had our names, uh, in black, uh, you know, in black across them. And I got five scripts that to read to, to for to, to see if I wanted to do it. And I was before the scripts even got there. I was like, of course I want to do it. It's a Steven Spielberg project, you know. So I read the scripts, and my name is mentioned. The, the character is mentioned in it, but there's literally zero dialogue for me. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, I'm at the dining room table and I'm, okay, huh. I may have to turn this down because I'm not going to, my career is just starting. I've been working my butt off. I'm like, I'm not going to go to England for a year to do nothing. Right. Just because I'm going to be in the, you know, so I called my, man, my manager and I said, I'm not in these scripts at all. I said, I don't know what to do. I I don't know if they maybe they didn't send me one that they wanted to, but I don't know why they would send me these for me to figure out if I wanted to do this. Um, So immediately, I get a call back from Meg Lieberman who cast it, and she's like, "You're going to be in these scripts, and there's an episode that's not done yet that is written specifically for your character." You have to trust me on this. She says, it's, 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 it's about your character. It's all, Stephen, it, everyone, we've talked about this. all follows your journey. You get injured, this whole thing. but, hasn't been written yet because they're not sure. There's two different stories they want to tell during it, and they're not exactly sure what they want to do. So you have you have to just trust us that this is going to be there. So now I sent these five, <laughs> five one hour scripts, which are full hour, not 42 minutes. So it's right. full, you know, each one's a good 70 pages long. So I read through all the stuff, which I'm not in. And
1: then I'm based on a phone call from an amazing person who I respect who casts. Meg is legendary. Stuff. I mean, like, she's cast yeah. in the most incredible. Yeah. She, and Mark Hirschfeld, it was Lieberman Hirschfeld for yeah. a long time. Yep. And then he went to work for NBC, and then yep. she went off on her own. And she's, yep. I've, she's amazing. Yeah.
3: Amazing. And she said, "Trust you're going to have to trust me. And I said, I trust you. So the answer is yes. <laughs> and then the script came. And I was just like, oh. So even if it was only in my mind, I said, even if I only was doing, like sort of like basically being the lead in one hour of a Spielberg-produced miniseries that was 10 hours long, which even though I hadn't seen the script yet, but that was like the thing. I was like, that's worth doing, even if I do nothing else in any of the other episodes. And then when everything was all really written and tied in together we were all all over it um, and they delivered on that episode and it was the the best decision that I almost screwed up <laughs> in my entire life <laughs>
0: well I mean
1: is he you know as, as a director are you do you come in with ideas or does he say this is what I think this is or well he was supposed to he was supposed, he
3: Spielberg didn't direct any of them um Hanks directed episode five and he was amazing and he, he he's kind of one of those guys who. So he didn't direct, didn't direct. Spielberg it. didn't direct. Spielberg didn't. But he predicts, what happened okay. was what I, that was he was supposed to direct the pilot or the first episode was supposed to be an hour and a half long. Spielberg was, Spielberg was supposed to direct it, um, but he had his kidney removed. I don't know if you remember that. Oh no, I didn't know if I knew that. Yeah, it's kind of cure, kidney surgery or something. He had something that was put out, but and because he was not able to do it, um, he did not direct any of them. Because at that point, there's no. There's no sense. He did private run. you know right. He, I directed episode four of what there's right. no there's nothing in there in the sense of for the audience to get excited about or for him to get excited about. But just to do the first episode of it, yeah, an hour and a half long, that would have made sense. Wound well, up not happening. Um,
1: so you had Hanks so we, so we had, we had <laughs> Hanks later
3: and he was he was amazing. What what people don't real, remember or realize is that we were supposed to shoot all the uh, all the stuff in the Alps was supposed to take place in actually in the Austrian Alps in the actual snow. Um, and that was the year that, uh, uh, Austria elected a Nazi sympathizer into their either, uh, and I'm going to sound ignorant because I don't know what kind of government they have there. It was either parliament or their house of commons or whatever there, but it's in, in a high position of government. So Spielberg pulled, uh, um, the Band of Brothers from shooting in Austria and everything that that would have meant for them financially for us coming there. So we ended up doing everything in England inside, um, and they created all the snow. Oh wow! Yeah. So it was kind of like it was a challenge. I think that became a a definite
1: uh, asset. H- and and Hanks is a, a like a nice guy, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, like the nicest, like like
3: like one of those people that you sort of keep looking back, going he. He can't, it's just not, he's just too nice <laughs> in the best way. I mean, he's not, you know, he's extremely uh, opinionated about what he's opinionated about. You know, he has beliefs and, and ideas that are strong, but he's just the nicest guy. He, he's everything you would hope and expect him to be. And most of the people that you know, this said that, most of the people you want to meet, that you think you want to meet growing up your whole life, when you do, you you are very often let down. <laughs> <laughs> At least I have been.
1: Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And, you know... It's and like, a,
3: don't meet your idols. <laughs> and a lot of
1: times I come away from those experiences feeling like, you know, maybe some of that's on me because I yeah. had expectations. Yeah. You know, like this yeah. person's a person, maybe I caught him on a bad day or maybe they, I don't know, you know... I mean I think it's it's very difficult to you know but if that, when that's all you have it's hard not to paint the entire picture of a person with that sure. one moment sure. which I think in turn makes me and I imagine makes you more conscious when people come up to you that you're like I'm not gonna I'm gonna be yeah. engaged in this moment because mm-hmm. I, I want I want this person to get. Something positive out of it And feel good about this situation And not feel what I felt yeah. When I went up to so-and-so And yes. they were kind of a dick okay. about it
3: There's nothing wrong with saying My dog just died if your dog died Right <laughs> As opposed to just going Get the fuck out of here Yeah,
1: exactly, exactly, <laughs> you know? exactly
3: It's like, hi, I can't really talk right now My, you know, something bad just happened in my- Oh, okay You just humanized yourself
1: Yeah like, But, you know, in particular I feel like the Walking Dead fans Are, 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 are really um, It's a nice bunch Yes, because they d- they're really uh, I don't know they they're, they're caring they're caring they're, they're, caring, just and they're caring and people. they're sympathetic and yeah. they you know and I, I feel like it is a fan reason if you said like oh my gosh you know honestly I'm just having a weird day and something horrible I feel like they would go no problem you cool. know like I, I, I it's it's a it's a nice group to have but you do all of the you do a lot of fan conventions mm-hmm. and uh, you know it's that system is very interesting to me because. It was like the time Norman got bitten by a lady, <laughs> and I, and I always feel
3: bad for her. Honestly, I, I mean, I it's just the just the people. I've had people start bouncing uncontrollably. I've had people burst into tears. I've had people, you know, laugh. They just get. I mean, I get like she, you know, maybe was playing around and she was, in, I mean, she was dressed as a zombie or whatever, yeah. and, and then got you know bit a and little. Then it may,
1: and then it seemed like this woman just bit yeah, him and i I'm know like, and it's like yeah, yeah context I, it's come just, on yes
3: of course i like you know she's not some like serial you know she's not you know joanne Dahmer or and
1: something and also you see you see a oh, very nice very very very, very gender friendly recasting <laughs> of the <laughs> um but uh, but just the idea is like you know you know the cast is fun and you know they fuck around and you know being in a community of walking dead fans that it's like they're a part of it too, and yeah. yeah. So I, I also felt bad for. It was like, oh, I don't know if it was that. Well, and then like the social media turned on her. I'm like, guys, stop! All right, she, she bit him. She feels bad enough. Well, also, also, <laughs> you know, uh, people need to understand that you know when when people are when you're when you're a really when you're a hardcore fan of something, and all of a sudden you're standing in front of that person, and mm-hmm. it's happened to me, and I know it's happened to you. You you you're not always. Completely there because you're. It's such an out of body experience. I
3: started crying when I was talking to Levar Burton
1: <laughs> like a month ago because so it was just about roots and I was like, oh my god,
3: and you, you know, and and and, the, and all the stuff that he's done, the outreach stuff with education. And stuff, I'm going to get upset talking about it now, but it's just like, just he's so much a part of my life and growing up. And then he was standing in front of me, and you know, I, I didn't know how to process it. Yeah. You know, and you get it every once in a while. We do, we, it was as well, we're, we're, I'm staring at the mic like I'm looking at you guys <laughs> in the face. We, we get that same emotion and that same feeling. I did it with, um, uh, I can't even think of his name, Freddie What? Uh, Freddy. oh, Freddy Krueger. You mean Robert England? Robert England. Yeah. And he was sitting across from me at, at, at one of these conventions about, about a year and a half ago. And, I'm, and the whole time, I'm like, oh my God, I gotta go say hi to him. He's like, Freddie, holy crap! Like, you know, and then and then there was a low in in the crowd over on his side. And they see uh, Robert running over to me, and he's like, "Oh my god, I'm a huge fan of Southland. I just had to tell you that. I've been seeing you all day." And I'm like, "Oh,", oh, 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 oh. and I have pictures that are with me looking completely like an idiot but just not like void of any emotion just not just literally like crapping my pants you should have said
1: I'm sorry I'm having a weird day yeah, can, yeah, you, can, so you say, can
3: you back off hey
1: man but what also oh, really cool that he mentioned Southland yeah, because you know, Walking Dead's yeah. the really obvious one. Yep. But you know, when someone yeah. when someone goes a little deeper, it's like, oh my god! It's like no. Well, then you uh, well c-
3: because it's Southland would have been easy. I mean, uh, Walking Dead would have been easy, now. it could have gone well. Yeah. Okay. Sure. It's just, uh, but you go Southland. You know, he's not lying.
1: Exactly. <laughs> you know? You're exactly. like, oh shit!
3: You really do know my work. Yeah. yeah. I mean, <laughs>
1: yeah, and I think that's I think that's the other but element tinier, to all this I'm is like, oh, no. never never forgetting what it means to be a fan, mm-hmm. to also understand that as a performer. That as a performer, you need fans in order to you mm-hmm. know to support the thing that you're doing, and that you should always you know to within reasonable boundaries be in service to them. Absolutely, because otherwise you don't got nothing.
3: No, no, absolutely, <laughs> and that's why and that's why we do them. And people all the time say, you know, we'll have somebody come through, and you kind of dealing with their kids and. You know, maybe they're even older kids. You know, twenty twenties and thirties, and then the 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 mom, and we have a lot of a lot of moms and a lot of grandparents who are fans. But in, in this scenario that I'm speaking of, you have the mom, and she'll say, "Oh, you you must hate this," and I'm I'm literally like, "Why? What? Why would I hate this? Yeah, if I hate this, I'm going to stop doing it. Yeah, uh, I can I can't imagine doing this, hating it. You know, you you want to see." The fans, you know, when I when I want to see fans, when I want time for myself, I go take time for myself.
1: Yeah, yeah. You don't go to a fan I'm, event. I'm an adult. I can yeah. do that. <laughs> I can go to my house and stay inside. Well, I know that just comes from people never not wanting to be a burden or a bother. Because, yes. but, but it is it is funny when people go, uh, Hey, I think your work is great. You're probably tired of hearing that. No, I am certainly not. <laughs> no, that's the tired thing. of hearing like, that at like, all. Well,
3: how do you how do you feel when people walk up to you? And I'm like, What do you mean? Well, okay, let's 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 logically walk through this. There are people out there who love watching me do the thing that I love to do. Yeah.
1: Hmm. That supports my life and my family <laughs> and everything else. It's yeah. like the it's like the best gift in the world. Yeah. The yeah. only time I ever I ever get a little weirded out is if I'm someplace and someone's really drunk and they just yes. start grabbing and they're like, Hey yes. You know, like yeah. like that that just makes me uncomfortable because I'm sober and it just it just brings up a lot of weird stuff for me. That is literally the only time yeah. I ever you know, get weird
3: out of- and, and, and don't talk to us while we're peeing.
1: <laughs> can I get a and selfie? I, oh, oh, yeah. you, uh, can we if do I it out there?
3: If I got my dick in my hand, <laughs> I don't want to talk to you. Now,
1: if I have my dick in my hand and I'm
3: just sitting in a restaurant. Different story. That's on me. But if I'm in a. Bed, my dick is in my hand and I'm surrounded by tile, <laughs> don't talk to me. Maybe. Other than that,
1: we're if good. If my dick is in my hand, I'm surrounded by, <laughs> by tile, but I'm at a Home Depot. Then maybe Maybe that's a different story What section am I in? <laughs> <laughs> I'm in Plumman Looking for light bulbs Plum, Um, but your dick. The but then you don't you Just don't reference That your dick is in your hands Excuse <laughs> me Can you help me Where the light bulbs? I just but try you're not doing... to not talk about it. Just see if anyone notices <laughs> Just see if they would notice I feel like people would notice Maybe they would not hmm. Maybe they would not Maybe this is. maybe this. Is, God, I hope they would. Okay, maybe this is a little. Oh, trust me, they would know. <laughs> I mean, how can you not notice something you're Hummy, tripping come over? On. You're right? <laughs> Am I right? How can exactly. you not notice something that takes up the whole exactly. aisle? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. It's like, this is funny. I was thinking about when I was younger and you'd, 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 you'd try to. You know, the you'd talk to your physician. Like, My dick's like so big. You're like, great, if your like, dick was that big, what could yeah. you do with it? Nothing. Nothing. Fuck off. Nothing. Fuck your mom. <laughs> Again, again. <laughs> I'm Like, all right, I'm your dad. We just became 11 again. Yeah, right? I know. Was well, You know, it's funny. It's, I don't know if. I, yeah, I guess it's all right to tell the story. But uh, you know, you can think about it. But it's recently, really not, recently, I, I did a thing where I extracted my my thing uh, and then walked into the, the bedroom and just had a normal conversation with my, with my wife and, and just waited to see how long it was that she would notice and it was just the perfect like yes we are a solid couple this is a solid couple relationship because at but the end how long did she ignore it before she that was it that's it's not it. that she didn't see it no, it was just by knew. the end she was just like and you and know could she you said put you- <laughs> yeah and by the end she goes yeah and then we can have dinner at 7 and yes I know that your penis is out <laughs> Uh, and i was like okay. of course you know cuz you almost tripped on it <laughs> i'm lying in bed i didn't almost trip on it it's not that big it's calm down you know but it, it's just it's just that acceptance of like this is something we do sometimes yes. and you know we i would never do it in public but uh you know, no. It's just
3: it's just that our wives
1: know we're idiots. Yes, exactly. That's and they, they more, they to, more to us. that point. And they accept <laughs> us for being idiots, uh, and, uh, and and we love them for this. Absolutely. But uh, is there so? Oh, uh, I think I probably are we mentioning the uh, Walking Dead season seven DVD and Blu-ray? Are are, are they out? Are they coming? They out? are out. Oh, you know what? I don't know if they're out. Yes. If they're, if they're, they're
3: if just report. No, they're out. They're available. They are because people have been talking about.
1: Yes, they're out. They're they're hanging out. They're, they're out. out. They're out. They're out. People have been tripping over them. I saw that they're out. I saw that the DVDs are out. Okay? <laughs> All right. Yeah, the DVDs and the Blu-rays are out. Uh, and, uh, yeah, so, you know, re- re- relive it. And Well, there's some cool commentary um, also with myself, uh,
3: uh, Greg Nicotero, and Scott Gimple. Um, I, I don't know if Steven was back in town by then. He may have, I feel like he called in, but maybe not. But, um, I remember we had there was some cool cool commentary and people have been commenting on it. So commenting on the commentary,
1: yeah. Well, I mean, you know, listen. After we when we did the um, the thing at Hollywood Forever, and you know, it was it was it was very sad. You know, we lost you, but it was kind of awesome. We lost Stephen. It was awesome. It rained. It wasn't supposed to rain, but it did, which is not common for Los Angeles. Yeah. And it only rained while the show was happening. It started yeah. raining right before, and it, it ended right right afterwards. And uh, you know, after that episode, you know, some people were like. Oh uh, you know it's just a TV show, right? Why are you so upset? And, like, because these people, I care about them. And how can you... Have you never been moved by, by a story, a book, a movie, a television show? This is a part of our ritual and a part of our lives. And it's, you know, and it's sad when things change in this way. So, yeah, it is fucking, you know, it's a big deal. It is a big deal. It's not... It's, we know they didn't actually die. This isn't a fucking documentary, but... Uh, but
3: I can't tell you how many of the fans are, and you know, take it for for whatever you want to take it for. Um, they people see me, and I've gotten hugs, and they said it's just uh, it's just comforting to know that you're okay. Yeah, and and I, I'm not. They're not making it up. No, I mean, you, like you can tell they are they're they feel this way. You know, it is it has moved them in a, in a very big way, and and that's that's amazing you know i mean we we told these stories you know in a way that moved these people like this so yes. like so yeah you're welcome
1: and not only that <laughs> but particularly with you know when you when you really watch a show and it becomes a part of your life and a part of your ritual of friends come over family come over whatever you make food you get together it's very communal But people either identify with a character like Abraham or they go, oh, that's like my uncle or that's like this guy I know, that's my friend. And so when you lose that person on the show... You really do on you know on a yeah. on a much on a smaller level, but you really do lose a little piece of sure. yourself and it's it hurts yeah. i mean it's not it's not crazy and you're not wrong for getting upset about it people no, listening not at all no
3: it's awesome and we and we love that you know we because we we know that we are effectively
1: doing what we're trying to do are you are you going to be at any conventions anytime soon
3: I'm doing some uh i did some a bunch over the summer because there was there was a potential for some work stoppage in l a with the potential of a writer right. strike, potential of an actor strike, all those have gone away, and it's all work full stream ahead, full speed ahead um, but i but I booked a bunch you know to 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 cover that in case because yeah. it's like I need to keep busy and uh I'm leaving for Ecuador tomorrow. oh wow, I'm gonna do a convention in Ecuador that's fantastic, and that that is that's the thing about the show it's it's worldwide,
1: yeah, you know? and I'll be in Atlanta. Um, for the, the big walker. Have you ever been to one of those? No, because they're only, you know, my schedule, which only just opened up with that midnight ending, um, it opened up as much as my schedule's been opened up in the last several years. I was never, the weekends that they always were, particularly the one in Atlanta, I had so little time off that I would fill my those weekends with stand-up dates. Gotcha. So I could never make it, I could never do it at the same time because it was like I could either do this or, you know, I need to be getting ready for my comedy special, or I need to be, you know... Sure. And so... Uh, I,
3: I would highly recommend you, but get, I will you do one. figure something I out. I will do because, one at some point, cause because I, always, I see the pictures, and I'm like, oh, that looks like fun. You'd love it. That I mean, that would be like... Almost if, like, if you could figure out a way to do it, you know, line up a gig, a comedy gig, in the town that we were in. Yeah. And then go do the thing during the day, you know, visit, maybe do a panel or something, well, and what, then do a comedy show that night. What
1: I, what I kind of wanted to do at, like, at Walker Stalker was... Um, was actually do like a you do know sort of a, a panel version of ta- of Talking Dead? It's Absolutely, because like, you guys are already there. Yep. So let's sit around and talk for you know for that audience for just that audience for an hour. You know, and then and then take pictures and stuff, so and sign stuff. So yep. yeah, I mean, I, I they, the fans would love it. I'm so open to it. I would love to do it, and uh, it's it's really just been about schedule, but I, I'll try to work it out soon. Cool. Uh, I hope to see you around. You just will. hanging out. You will.
3: Maybe I'll come visit you guys next year. I'm still watching the show, so that'd be. Uh great to come on. And, and
1: you have my numbers. Yeah, I have and my you number. just live, you know, over the hill over from the where we hill, live. So we could yeah. probably could probably get Figure together at some point. <laughs> we maybe, You know, do I need to have a fan convention in my no, house to get maybe. You to come over? Okay, <laughs> A private one-on-one. <laughs>
3: There's somebody here that really wants to see you.
1: Hi, I'm Chris. name is Chris. Hi! <laughs> come on in! I know. Talk about yourself in the third person. <laughs> I, Chris made us both footy pajamas. Oh. I'm wearing mine I will go put mine on <laughs> If
3: I'm not back in 5 minutes you start without me
1: <laughs> That's weird He just lost he his
3: mind He goes What are you
1: going to be with Dr. Tens with his penis hanging out You know it <laughs> <laughs> I'm just waiting to see if my wife notices. She's not here. So took either. it out. What? She watches the show. Yeah, but now you're canceled. Uh, but, uh, I, you know, normally we end the episode by saying enjoy your burrito, which is how we end the episode to say, like, you know, enjoy your present. But I feel like we should wrap up the show with, like, a, an Abrahamism, you know? Do you have a particular favorite one?
3: Suck my
1: nuts.
0: <laughs>